Take your Bible, please, and find again the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, this time the second chapter. As we're doing a series on the first three chapters, we're calling Identity. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sure that you've seen those before and after pictures that appear quite often of dramatic, drastic transformations that uh, people have. In fact, sometimes you look at those pictures and it's almost unbelievable. And if you're like me, you may even begin looking a little bit closer and asking yourself, is that really the same person? You begin looking at their eyes, you begin looking at their face and trying to figure out, is that really the same person? I mean, it's just hard to believe. Today, we're going to be looking at a dramatic transformation, a tremendous before and after picture And the transformation is almost too good to be true, but it is true. We're going to be looking at our lives before Christ and our lives after coming to Christ. Now, this is where the illustration kind of breaks down from the photos in front of you. You see, in those photos, these people have gone through uh, improvement. Uh, They've gone through a renewal, refreshing, a transformation and improvement. They've kind of polished up the old. They're still the same. They're just a better version. They're like the 2.0 version. But when it comes to our lives as believers, we're not just the old polished up and made better. In fact, we don't just have a renewal or restoration. We have a resurrection. We literally go from death to life when we come to Christ. In fact, the Bible is very clear. If any person's in Christ, they're a new creature. They're a new creation. 
You know, a lot of us that are saved, we're probably saved earlier in life. The, the great majority of people that come to faith in Christ come to faith in Christ early in life. But by the way, you can come at any age. We invite you to come no matter where you are today. But the majority come early in life as they do statistic studies on that. And I recognize that when a lot of us came to faith in Christ, there was a lot that we did not understand. I mean, honestly. In fact, there's still a lot I don't understand to this day, even though I've been a Christian for a long time. Now, I'm grateful we don't have to understand everything to come to faith in Christ. We can, we can come understanding we're a sinner in need of a Savior and He's died for us and we come and place our faith in Him. But then we begin to grow and begin to understand more and more exactly what Christ did and what salvation accomplished. And, and really, what we're talking about in this series, that is, who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus. That's why we've called the series Identity. To understand who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus. To understand some of what happens when we come to faith in Christ. Because it's a, a remarkable thing, a marvelous thing, the greatest thing that ever happens to us. And, and furthermore, if you've been saved for a long time, it could just be today that you have kind of forgotten just what your life was before coming to faith in Christ. Perhaps you've forgotten how bad things really were before Christ became your Savior. So today as we jump back into Ephesians, we're going to learn and be reminded of some very important things as we look at the first ten verses of Ephesians. And so, if you would listen or follow along on your own copy of the Scriptures as I read Ephesians 2, verses 1-10. through 10. We've already read part of it today as a congregation. But I'm going to read it again. Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. And you... He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others." But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together. And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now I need to tell you right up front that you're in one of the two pictures we're going to talk about today. You're in one of them. In fact, every person upon planet Earth is in one of the two pictures we're going to talk about today. There is no middle ground. You're either saved or not saved. There's no middle ground. You're either a child of God or not a child of God in the sense of Him being your Savior and Lord. So I want you to think about your life as we think about the Scripture here. And I want to show you two photographs. And you're in one of them. At this very moment, I want you to see, first of all, the before picture, the before picture. 
what life is like before a person has Christ as their Savior and Lord. We find the details in the first three verses. Now, if you're taking notes, if you'd like to take notes, I'm going to give you three sets of three today. So if you get nine points down, we're doing multiplication in our house right now with grams. So gram three times three is nine. Thank you. <laughs> three times three is nine. So you'll have nine things at least you can write down today if uh, we are, are get all our notes across. All right. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three sets of three. And here we have the first one. That is the before picture. The before picture. So three main points and three points with them. I want you to see what a person is like before they come in faith to, in Christ. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus here. Um, he's writing to believers and he says, before you had life in Christ, I want you to remember that you were, first of all, you were dead. You were dead. Look back in the scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses. Now, the world may tell you that everyone is basically good. I mean, deep down they're good. And all they really need is some polishing up. And if you get them the right uh, training or the right education or the right uh, morals or the right people around them or the right environment or the right circumstances, you kind of polish people up. Everybody's really, really good. And, and really, you just polish it up and they just shine more and more. But the Bible paints a very different picture. In fact, the Bible says that everyone is dead. Everybody starts out dead. And everybody needs to be made alive. That's what the Scripture says here. Now, this seems wrong. I mean, when you look at people today, there are those who are physically strong and they're just, man, they're just amazing. And, and they're mentally brilliant. They're just, they're so smart. Just around them, you just feel totally dumb. And they're beautiful. They just knock down gorgeous. And, and they're handsome and they got the cut jaw and they're just GQ. And I mean, all these people, I mean, they look so amazing. How in the world is it that they could be dead? Well, we have to understand what's being talked about here is spiritual death. That is, they can look fantastic on the outside. They can be mentally brilliant. They can be handsome and beautiful. They can have a lot of things going for them as far as this world is concerned and physical life is concerned. But inside, spiritually, they're as dead as they can be. They're spiritually dead. No communion with God. No connection with God. They're spiritually dead. In a real way... We're surrounded by dead people in a real way. We might call them the walking dead. Physically, they're alive. Some of them are vibrantly alive physically, but spiritually, they're dead as a doornail. Now, that's the first thing in the before picture. The second thing, not only is a person without Christ dead spiritually, they're also defiled. They're defiled. It's interesting here, as you look at this, that he mentions our three great enemies. The world, the devil, and the flesh. You look at the beginning there. Verse number 2, it says, "...in which you once walked according to the course of this world." That's talking about the evil world system. Following along what the world says and what the world does and how the world acts. Jot this reference down if you'd like. 1 John 2, 15-17. You may remember it. 1 John 2, 15-17 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
for all that is in the world. So when it talks about the world, what's it talking about? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And so the person without Christ is all about the world. Following the world, emulating the world, believing like the world, acting like the world. It's all about the world. And then the second great enemy is the devil. You notice in verse 2, he's referred to as the prince of the power of the air or the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Billions and billions of people are swept along, blinded by the great enemy of God. And he's not, listen, the devil is not a little red man with a, a pitchfork in his hand and a pointy tail. He would love for you to think of him that way. You know, the postman, uh, the, the poster child for potted meat. That's not the devil uh, for, for the Bible, all right? That's not who the devil is. Now, I made some of you hungry, I know, but um, he is actually real. He's diabolical and, and, and he's hell-bent on destroying all that is good and all that is right and all that is righteous, all that is wholesome. He hates God. He hates you. He hates me. And he's real. And you'd love for you to think he's not. But he, he's the prince of the power of the air. He's our enemy. Walking about as a roaring lion, seeking him he may devour. And he has an evil cohort with him, the other angels that fail. He was a beautifully created angelic being who rebelled against God in his pride and decided he wanted to be God. And he was cast down with those with him. And he's real and he's still active today. Now he's doomed. His days are numbered. But we see him. We see his work here and the lives of those who are without Christ. And then there is the flesh. That is our sinful nature. You notice verse 3, among whom also we once, notice this, we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. Before Christ, we lived for ourselves. We lived to fulfill our fleshly desires. And even when we did something that appeared good, I mean, we, we look at, oh wow, look at that. They really did something good. It was tainted. Why? Because, because it was done for us. In some sense, it was done for us. It was not done for God and His glory. Why? Because this person doesn't know God and cannot glorify God as such. And so a person without Christ is spiritually dead. They may be a vivacious and vibrant as can be on the outside, but spiritually, they're dead. No connection with God. They're defiled, falling on the world and the devil and the flesh. And by the way, don't leave yet because this before picture is awful. And if you leave now, you're not going to get the after picture. And you need to see the after picture. But there's one more part. I told you three sets of three, right? So the before picture, dead, defiled. But there's a third part here I need you to understand and see. And that is they are doomed. They're doomed. Look at the end of verse 3. The end of verse 3 says, They were by nature children of wrath, children of wrath just as others. Now, some believe that means that the person without Christ is filled with wrath and anger and malice. And that is true, the works of the flesh. But I don't think that's what he's talking about here. What I believe he's talking about here, beloved, is, is God's wrath. God's wrath for those who reject His Son who reject the wonderful salvation He's provided in Christ. Now listen, God's wrath is not a fly-off-the-handle anger. It's not a, a losing control like we might be guilty of at times. It is a perfect and settled decision, if you will, or, or, or attribute of God, because God cannot tolerate evil and sin. 
And God's wrath abides upon those who reject Him. Don't take my word for it. The Scripture's clear. John 3.36. You're going to drop that reference down. John 3.36. He who believes in the Son, that is Jesus, has everlasting life. And he who does not believe on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Yes, God is love. But God is also a God who's just. A God who is a God of wrath. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, same book. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And so if someone's without Christ, they're outside of Christ, they're under the wrath of God. And if they don't repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ, they're going to experience God's wrath for all eternity. So when you look at this before picture, it is absolutely awful. And it could be someone I'm talking to right now, you're still in this condition. You are dead spiritually. You are defiled. You are doomed. And by the way, even those of us who are saved, at one point we were in this condition. All of us. There's none righteous, no, not one. There was a day where I was dead spiritually. I was defiled by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and I was doomed under God's wrath. The praise be to God. I love... Now, this is before picture, but if you keep reading, I love the next verse. And I love the next two words. Three verses of doom and gloom, but then notice the beginning of verse 4. There are two words. What are they? But God. But God. Well, this is amazing. God's wrath is biting upon you. But God. Oh, I love it. What does it say? Verse 4, But God who is rich... In mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. This brings us to the after picture, the second set of three, the after picture. So this is a picture of a person who's repented of their sin and they place their faith in Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that they're changed forever. They're a new creature. They're a new creation. Now what happens when someone comes to faith in Christ? Well, some wonderful things happen. Notice, first of all, they're made alive. They're made alive. We see that there in verse number uh, 1. And you He made alive. Verse number 5. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved through faith. Remember, we were spiritually dead. Alive physically, but spiritually dead. We needed resurrection. Not just a refinement, not just a refreshment, not just a polishing, not just to kind of pull them up, make them look better. No, we were dead. We needed resurrection. And He has the power to do it. You were with us last week. We ended up the first chapter. We finished up the first chapter. Remember what the end of the first chapter talked about? In fact, you're there. Look back at verse 19 of the first chapter. We're talking about the fact we need a resurrection. Look at Ephesians 1.19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He worked in Christ when He what? He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. <clears throat> Excuse me. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come. And he put, us, he put all things under His feet and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And you He made alive 
who were dead in trespasses and sins. I read that line because we get a resurrection. He talks about Jesus' resurrection there in the end of chapter 1. And the same power that resurrected Jesus resurrects us. That is, we've been made alive in Christ. And so if you are a Christian today, you are spiritually alive. Now, some of you don't look like it. But you're spiritually alive. You've made alive. What else happened when we got saved? Well, we know that we were saved by grace. We're saved by grace. This is what happens. This is part of the, the after picture. So we saw the doom and gloom of the before picture. Now we look at us after and we notice, first of all, we're alive spiritually. And we notice we've been saved by grace. At uh, the end of verse 5, it says, For by grace you've been saved. Uh, verse number 8, we've read it today together. For by grace you've been saved through faith. God didn't save us because we were good. God saved us because He is good. Don't miss that. God didn't save us because we're good. God saved us because He is good. He extended to us His marvelous mercy, love, and grace. Uh, He gave us what we did not deserve. We did not deserve this. In His mercy and His grace, He saved us. And He made us alive. And not only that, there's a third thing here. He raised us up and united us to Christ. He raised us up and united us to Christ. Look at verse 6. And raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is talking about our union with Christ. Positionally speaking, if you're a believer today, positionally speaking, you are united with Christ in the heavenly realm. Now, I know you're sitting in church today and I know you're here with me and we're all here together. So literally, physically speaking, we look at that and say, I don't quite get that. Well, positionally, because we're in Christ, He's in the heavenly realms, we're with Him. This deals with the already and not yet. So already, when we came to faith in Christ, we get His righteousness. He imputes His righteousness to us. He takes our sin upon Himself. He makes us a son and daughter of God. Gives us all these glorious things. We're in Christ. Christ is in us. Positionally, we're in the heavenly realms already, but... Practically speaking, physically speaking, not yet. We're still here being worked on and growing and, and uh, it's called sanctification. It's a $20 word. It just means we're being made more and more like Jesus. He's, he's making us more and more like Jesus. But He's raised us up and united us to Christ. And that's why Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says this, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. In other words, we need to live like who we are. We're seated in the heavenlies. We're citizens of heaven. We ought to live like that on earth. All right, so we've got the before picture. It's awful. Spiritually dead. Defiled by the world, the flesh, and the devil. Doomed under the wrath of God. And then we have the after picture. Oh, it's glorious, isn't it? The after picture, we've placed our faith in Christ. We've been made alive. We're saved by grace. We were raised up with Christ. We're united to Christ in the heavenly realms. You say, well, there's only two pictures. But you said there were three sets of three. Well, if you think about this, I think a question arises maybe in my mind and perhaps in your mind, and that is why. Why would God do this for us? Why would God go to such lengths? 
mean, you think about it. In order for us to go from the before picture to the after picture, the Lord Jesus Himself had to die upon the cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Why would God do that for us? Well, there are three things I want to point out from this passage. First of all, He did it because of His great mercy, love, and grace. He says that here, doesn't He? Look at verse 4. Right after those three opening verses of doom and gloom, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, God was merciful to us. He, He didn't give us what we deserved. He had mercy on us. God was loving toward us. He he loved us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Now, by the way, I'm saying that in the past tense, but it's still true today. God is still merciful and God is still loving and God is still grace-filled. But He extended His his grace to us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 are verses that you need to memorize if you haven't as a believer. He says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. Then He says very clearly, Not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. I want you to understand that we're saved by grace. Faith is just the means by whereby we receive His grace. I I so want to camp out there and and, and just sit a while, but I'm not going to do it. There's so much. We could have just pulled out those two verses and looked at that and then add that tenth verse on and look at that. But I'm going to look at it as a whole today because we're going to make it through these three chapters because Thanksgiving's coming and we're going to turn our attention toward it. But I just want you to think about this. We're saved by grace through faith. God's grace. And it's very clear. It's not of ourselves. It's not us. It's a gift of God. Not of works. Why? Because if we were saved by works, we'd be boasting in it. Look at what I've done. I've I've done all these things. I've saved myself. No, we have nothing to boast of. Why? Because it's all of God's grace. It's all of God's grace. And God saved us because of His great mercy, His great love, and His great grace. But also, He saved us, secondly, to show the riches of His grace. Did you notice this? Verse number 7. That in the ages to come. So not just today, although it includes today, and not just tomorrow, but it includes tomorrow, but for the ages to come. Now remember, we're talking about those now that are in the after picture, those who are saved. We're going to be alive... Mm. 10 million years from now. And in the ages to come, in the glories of heaven, I want you to notice what it says in verse number 7. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, we are trophies of God's grace. In fact, it goes on to say in verse number 10, a lot of times we read verses 8 and 9, as wonderful as they are, don't forget verse 10. In verse 10 it says, we are His workmanship. That's a very interesting word. Now, now we have an English Bible. I'm assuming everybody's using an English Bible in here this morning. Anybody reading the Greek? I made it through Greek. Barely. But anyway. But the, but, but the word in the Greek there is a very interesting word. It's the word where we get our English word home. And, and 
It's the idea of God's workmanship. That is, we are a piece of art. We are God's piece of art. We are God's masterpiece. I want you to think about that. He took what was ugly, dead, defiled, and doomed, resurrected it, made it new, a trophy of His grace. Something beautiful. We are His workmanship. Hmm. But there's a third thing, that same verse, verse 10. As we're talking about why would God save us? Well, first of all, because of His great mercy, love, and grace. Secondly, because He's going to show the riches of His grace for the ages to come because we're going to be a testimony to that for all eternity. Because we didn't get to heaven on our own. Were it not for Christ, none of us would go to heaven. We'd all be burning in hell for all eternity. But because of His grace. But there's a third reason. And that is, He has good works planned for us. Look back at verse 10 again. Oh, this is a good one. For we are His workmanship, His, his masterpiece, His piece of art, His trophy, if you will, created in Christ Jesus. Watch this. For good works. But then don't stop there. Keep reading. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice this was not like an afterthought. Well, oh, I saved them. Now I've got to give them something to do. No. Prepared beforehand. Before we were ever born or thought of physically, literally here, in God's mind. But because remember, God sees everything all at the same time. He, he never learns anything. He never has to grow in His knowledge. He sees your whole life in one swoop. That, that's just mind-boggling. But that's because He's God. So He sees your whole life in one swoop. We live it out how? Moment by moment, second by second. He sees it all. And so He has your life plan. He has good works for you. Now notice we're not saved by good works, but because we are saved, we're saved to do good works. God has prepared them beforehand. These are the fruit, not the root of our salvation. And they're planned by God that we're to walk in them, not create them. And I found that interesting too. It's not that to sit around coming up, what can I do for God? No, God has a plan for your life. And your job is to obediently follow His will for your life. And know that He has appointments for you throughout life. And we're to walk in them. And I don't know about you, but that takes a load off. So many, maybe some of you young people right now, you're just fretting and you're wondering, what am I going to do? What do I do next? Just follow the Lord. Let Him direct you. Let Him guide your life. Let Him open doors. Let Him close doors. And, and although it may be hard, if a door closes, just trust Him in it. He's got a plan for your life. And if you'll give your life to Christ, you say, well, He's my Lord and Savior. But I mean, every day you just present yourself. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And you follow Him day by day. He's going to guide your life. Why? Because He's got things prepared for you. Things you can't imagine. Things you can't dream of. I'd never even heard of this place. I used to drive through Wadesboro when I was preaching out at Lylesville Baptist and lock the doors saying, man, I don't want to live around here. <laughs> it's kind of sketchy, as my boys say. I hope that doesn't offend you if you're from Wadesboro. But back then it was. I was living in Indian Trail. It was two different places. But it was like, no, I don't want to go. I've never even heard of this place. But you see, God guides our steps. Some of you right now, you wonder, I'm in college. What's going to happen? I'm going to go to college. I don't know what to do. Follow the Lord. Trust Him to guide your steps. 
He has a plan for you. And that should excite you. Why? Because God loves you so much. He didn't just save you and say, well, figure it out. No, He says, I'm going to put my Holy Spirit within you. I'm going to guide you. If you'll step by step follow me, I will direct your steps. And I have a plan for you. And can I just tell you, the Lord's plan for you is far greater, far better than you could ever imagine in your life. Now, that's not a prosperity gospel at all. Because I'm not going to say to anybody that God's plan for you to, to have mounds of money and all this stuff. No. See, if you get in God's perfect will, you live God's perfect will, your life has significance and value and meaning that you cannot get anywhere else. And one of the reasons that God saved you is because He has things He wants you to do. He has assignments for you. So follow Him. You see, they are to bring glory to God. Your good works. And point others to Him. Matthew 5.16 is a good verse. I'm going to write that reference down. Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that you may see your good, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, but God's plan is not for you to live for yourself. God's plan is for you to live for Him. And by, by the way, when you live for Him, there's such joy. The byproduct of that is such joy and meaning and purpose and significance in your life. You're really making a difference. And Christ is using you. But, but the good works you're doing is not for you. Is that others might see those good works that you're doing for the glory of God. And it points them to God. That's what it says, Matthew 5, 16. Let your lights shine before men. They may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, we've covered a lot of ground here in a short amount of time. I want to ask just in closing a couple questions. Number one, which picture are you in at this moment? Are you in the before picture? Are you here today and you don't know Christ as Savior and Lord? The Bible says you're spiritually dead. No connection with God. The Bible says you're defiled. And, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. We've all done wrong. The Bible says you're doomed. You're under God's wrath. But here's the good news. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent Christ to save you. And the Bible is very clear. If you'll turn from your sin and place your faith in Christ, He will save you. I would invite you to come today and trust Christ. Now, perhaps you're here in the second picture. Well, when's the last time you praised the Lord recently for the fact of what He did for you in saving you? We take this for granted. Sunday, we're going to church. Now, beloved, He made us alive. He raised us up and seated us in Christ. He saved us by His grace. Nothing in us. All by His grace. And if you're in that second picture, we talked about why. Let me just camp up for just a moment on the good works. He planned them for you long ago. Are you walking in them? Are you living life for yourself or for God's glory? Are you really seeking? Because you know the answer. Don't sit there and pretend you don't. You know what motivates you in life. And what should motivate us as believers is the glory of God because of God's great grace toward us. We don't work to keep ourselves saved. We don't work to, to save ourselves. We work because we are saved and we work because we love God. And He's worthy. Have you given your life to Christ in that sense? Said, Lord, here's my life. I mean, I already have saved. I, I know you're saved, but I give you my life. I want to live my life for you. 
Maybe you say, it's too late. No, you're still alive, aren't you? Might be retired already, but live your life for Christ. Give your days for Christ. Give your all to Christ. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Never spoke with anybody. Because I deal with people that die and I deal with those that are sick. And I don't ever recall ever having anybody say to me, man, I regret living for Christ. I regret living my life for Christ. I regret knowing Christ. I've never met anybody like that. I don't think I ever will. We need to pray. We need to go. Would you bow with me real quick? What's God the Holy Spirit saying to you? What's He speaking to your heart right now? Do you need to be saved? Now I'm talking to you. Do you need to be saved? All need to be saved. Why not today? God the Holy Spirit's working on your heart right now. Why not give your life to Christ? We'd love to talk with you more, answer any questions you might have, help you. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation song. You just come and let us know you want to be saved. We're not here to embarrass you. We won't do any of that. We just take you and take a Bible and share Christ with you. Maybe you're a Christian today and you just need to praise the Lord fresh and anew for what He's done for you. And maybe you're here today and you need to just give your life to Christ. You already know Him as Savior, but you've never surrendered your life and said, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. I want to follow you. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I want to walk in those good works that you have for me. So that's the invitation today. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And you come as God leads you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. You take charge now, Lord. Your Holy Spirit may have his will and way. In this place, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. That is the closing hymn, 465. Would you stand with me? As we sing that, you come, the altar's open. I'm here. Pastor Larry's here to help. We can do anything to serve you. 465, only trust Him. Let's sing it together.